Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Aaron Goff, owner of Goff Custom Knives, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Frank, from the Frank Brothers Guitar Company. How are you, mate? Hey, buddy, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, going well. Did you did you get some time off over the holidays, or I took the stat holidays? <laughs> Workaholic, you. <laughs> I mean, we stayed open because, um, you know, I don't need to be sitting at home waiting for Santa to come. Right. I know he'll be there. That's now, I mean, fair. it would be nice. One, I mean, I hope to once things are really cooking take that week off that'd be nice in between christmas and new year's mm-hmm. but you know there's you get like a, you get a four-day weekend and a three-day weekend it's pretty good more time than i usually take off it was yeah, nice i did the uh, opposite i went i was all about the time off it was very nice mm-hmm. i was Man, off you can pull it from, off it's great yeah and i mean basically i just like you know put my nose to the uh, the sanding belt uh, before before Christmas um, and got myself into a position where like I have no back orders, no outstanding customer requests of any kind. Everything is done. Yeah, that's huge. Um, you hustled. So you were in yeah. it. Good yeah. You, so I was off from the 23rd until the 17th. Yeah, that's amazing. a nice uh, chunk. Mm-hmm. Although I will do? say... I well, this was about to get to. It wasn't as relaxing as I'd planned. I'd planned to do like nothing, but so one of the reasons that I really hustled um, to get totally caught up is because I'm I've been thinking about going back to a software job, right? Um, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, but for those that don't know, the reasoning behind this is that I really wanted to buy a house this year, and the banks treat you completely differently when you're self-employed versus when you have a full-time job. It just makes it so much easier if you have a full-time job. And honestly, like I'm sure you will empathize with this, Nick. Um, working for yourself is about twice as much work for half half as much money <laughs> as you would, you know, mm-hmm. make in a, in a good job elsewhere. So, um, yeah. So basically on the very last day i think it was on like the 22nd or the 23rd just as i was wrapping up this company contacted me out of the blue um asking if i was interested in a position with them a software engineering position so wow um they sound like a fantastic company so i've been doing interviews with them i've i've already done like five hours worth of interviews and i've got another like Ooh. four hours to go so what, what that's such i mean i know a lot of these bigger corporations stuff do these extensive interviews but I don't think I'd have five hours worth of questions to ask somebody. <laughs> well, so this isn't a big corporation. This is a, a smaller oh, okay. uh, kind of high-end company, but it's all like technical interviews and stuff. Like you're, you know, you're very much, you know, doing the job 
um, in various parts of the interview or, oh. you know, they, they have some scripted stuff that they talk through for like, you know, people skills, soft skill stuff. And then the rest of it's like, you know, actually testing your technical skills. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so uh, how's it going? Good so far. We'll, we'll see. I honestly, like I find interviewing very difficult and hard yeah. because, you know, so my last job, the technical interview was me in a room with three of the senior software engineers from the company and the director of engineering. And then they gave me some code that I'd never seen before. And they were like, solve this problem while we watch you and comment. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and like that, it just, my brain just turns to mush in, in that, in that situation. That's, so that's a high pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had, I did the same thing this time. Uh, in that my brain turned to mush, but I also did something else that I've had good luck with, which is after the session's over, I go through it and do it on my own time, whatever task they sent me, I do it on my own time, you know, mm-hmm. polish it up nicely and then send it to them with a bit of explanation, just saying like, I'm a dummy in interviews. This is what I'm like in real life, you know? <laughs> That's good. I mean, as like in my experience, the person that interviews the best isn't always the best. Hundred percent. Some people, yeah. some people are really good at interviewing, and those people maybe are also the same people that are really good at like lying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, or, I just or like presenting themselves well when uh, right. You know, it's a it's a thinly veiled, uh, you know, sort of presentation of of uh, what they actually can do. So right. I don't think there's. I mean, it. it I, I imagine there's more to just the the technical thing that what they're actually testing you on. You know, like there's. Yes, absolutely. it's probably, so, uh, yeah, like multifaceted. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's been interesting. Like I, I want to talk about this stuff openly just because, you know, if anybody else is out there is listening, has, you know, terrible interview experience where, you know, like I said, like my anxiety just kicks in and I just turn into like my girlfriend even noticed she was like, you didn't sound like you during that interview because <laughs> like, I was doing it from home. She was like, you didn't sound like confident or you know self-assured and i was like yeah like you know you put me down in front of somebody else and asked me to do a technical interview and i just turn into mush yeah well i can happens to a lot of us yeah it's kind of like public speaking you know there's Mm -hmm. just this irrational fear of failure it's interesting because i'm fine with public speaking are you? Okay. Yeah, totally fine. Like I've given presentations in front of, you know, half the company about very technical topics. That's that's totally fine. Just for some reason, interviews in particular are like a weak spot for me. You're not you're not one of those perverts that pictures everyone naked, are you? <laughs> I wish I had that level of imagination while I'm trying to concentrate on something else. Are you doing it to me right now? Aaron. Absolutely. Stop it. <laughs> so yes. So I was like, you know doing my resume, fixing up some of my portfolio pieces. I spent, you know, quite a lot of time on that, that process. So yeah, honestly, that's where a lot of the time went in those three weeks. Um, but I still had some very restful time off as well, which is really nice. Good. That's great. I love mm-hmm. working on resumes, not my own. Mm, other people's like Catherine's or I've helped with my brothers, like my older brother's resume before. Yeah. Or he's helped me more actually, but in the past. But uh yeah, I like I like formatting shit. I know it's everyone's least favorite thing <laughs> word documents. I love oh I love formatting word documents. You're a thrill seeker, a risk taker. Yeah, it's same with like, uh, like making spreadsheets. Formatting shit. Yeah, yeah. 
you just like you just like the the organization of it. I do. I, I I wish I could. You know, the the nice thing about a resume is like you just do it and then it's done. Now you can just use it. It was like a spreadsheet. Mm. You have to like maintain and keep up. That's where I fail. Right. I will say I was very proud of my resume this time around. I haven't been asked for a resume in like 10 years, despite the fact that I've done other interviews and stuff. I've always pretty much just told people, like, go look at my LinkedIn. Like, mm-hmm. it's better than my resume. And this time around, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all out. These these guys seem like a really interesting company. So I actually like redid my resume with the same, basically with their corporate style. So I oh. like mimicked their corporate style, did all of their corporate colors and the same. That's clever. And everything laid it all out yeah it turned out sweet that's a good way to stand out yeah well you know i figure with this stuff like if i'm if i'm gonna spend the time on it i'm gonna go all out i'm not gonna just half-ass this yeah i mean i've looked at many resumes when we're we're going through the hiring process and it's it really doesn't take that much more effort to to make yourself stand out above the rest Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and i i got comments from the hr people that saw it they were like oh my god we love this that's great you know nice. yeah i think yeah. it does make a difference for sure so there you go if anyone's listening to this thinking about how they're going to make themselves stand out for the next next job interview well that's a clever what approach to um sort of stylize it like you know you're like branding yourself under their mm-hmm. their their branding Sometimes and I went through and picked out phrases off of their website, you know, out of their like, um, yeah, that's key. You kind gotta, of philosophy, philosophy, uh, pages, that kind of stuff. And talking about how it related to my past experience and why I believe in the same things. That's good. Yeah. You got to speak their language. That's key. I, I know it's such so many missed opportunities like that. It's like, you know, where we've like asked, we've, we've put out job listings before and then people ask us what our address is. Yeah, like why on our website man or what or didn't didn't you say you had someone that was asking like like contacting you after the the posting and then asking like how to submit the resume and and stuff like that like yeah oh yeah that's that's a pretty common one (laughs) that's like a low pass filter right there really is i mean yeah it's too bad because maybe you're missing out on good candidates but i just can't it's so annoying it's like a spelling mistake in your resume. For the cover I can forgive a spelling mistake. My concern with somebody that contacts you being like, how do I submit my resume is that it feels like they haven't tried to work out the question, the answer, you know, like if they sent you an email saying like, Oh, I couldn't work out where to submit my resume. So it's nice to meet you, Nick. Here's my resume as an attachment on this email. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Well, with similarly, like you know, we have customers who reach out and go, how much are your guitars? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's listed on the website. I'm happy to tell you because you're a potential yeah. customer and, you know, that I've got to be nice to you because I want your me. money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a greedy bastard. Um, no, I mean, I just, you know, you treat customers like royalty. Um, but uh, it's like, it's really easy information to find out. Probably easier for you to just go on our website than it is to actually tech like direct message us and then wait yeah. for a response. I wouldn't have the patience for that. I'd be like, oh, 100%. instead of that, I'd be like looking on forums or something. If it wasn't listed on the website, trying to find out right. an immediate well, answer. I, I had a customer the other day, um, super nice dude, which is good because otherwise this would have been super creepy. Um, <laughs> he was coming to the shop to pick up a knife 
and he texted me saying like, oh, what's your address? Because I don't I don't list it anywhere. I don't I don't particularly want people just showing up. Um, and I wasn't checking my messages, so I didn't hear back from him. I, I didn't see it for like half an hour. And then he was like, oh, never mind. I found it. And I was like, what do you mean you found it? How did you find it? And he found it in the technical details of my trademark application from last year. Wow. I'm like, dude, that's that like in like 20 minutes you you hunted that down. Like good for him. Good job. Yeah. I know. Some people are just have that tenacity. Well, and he manages. Yeah, absolutely. He manages a um like a a bar. So yeah, you can imagine that there's a lot of, you know, thinking <laughs> involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was telling Tim we should next time we write a job description, we should put thinking in the job in, in it mm. <laughs> critical thinking maybe that's well, Bushi. i don't know how how good of an idea this is but i've seen in the software world where it's like people will post an uh a job ad as like a code you know you actually mm. have to like break the code and like you know do some right. some stuff to like get to the job ad but like yeah i don't know i think then you're gonna attract only people that are like crazy enough to, to like on a whim go code breaking. Yeah. That's an interesting. I I mean, um, I remember like we were going, we were starting our hiring process at one point and then I saw a post from Grimsmo and they, mm-hmm. at, they were hiring and they were asking people to submit video resumes or like a, you know, a short video about themselves. Right. And I was like, damn, that's, that's cool because, and then you immediately are gauging somebody's excitement, enthusiasm, like passion, uh, desire for that position. Like you can, yeah. you could really learn a lot from that. It's kind of a high bar. Um, you might get people who make something really nice or something who just people who videoed on their phone, but and that's I, fine. I, you, know, you know, not everyone probably. has access to the same equipment. Yeah, yeah, of course. And maybe that's not yeah. your skill set. But like if you're hiring yeah. a video editor, maybe it'd be a different story. <laughs> but um, yeah, a f- filmmaker. But uh, I just thought that was a really cool idea. I just don't know if I have the like, I don't know, like I, this is going to sound shitty. Like I'm not chirping Grimsmo, but like to have <laughs> the ego to think that like people will actually do that. I kind of get where you're coming from, but confidence. That's the word I'm looking for. Not ego. Right. I don't think that Grimsmo has, has an ego, but there's a, you know, like a confidence it takes to ask people to do something like that. Um, or to, to think that maybe you'll even get any applications at all. So, but it's, I thought it was a really clever idea and I'd be curious to know if it worked out for them. Yeah. I mean, you know, so one of the things that I like about the company that I'm interviewing with right now is, believe it or not, this interview process that I'm going through, despite being long, is actually fairly low pressure compared to what I've seen in the past. Um, hmm. You know, it's it's you're you're interviewing with individuals, not with you know a committee, um, and they're not you know. So one of the famously bad parts of software technical interviews is what they call leet code where they give you an esoteric problem like find every prime number between zero and a thousand in the most efficient way possible and then on the spot you have to write code 
to do this, you know, algorithmic task that has zero fucking bearing on what you're what you're going to do day to day. You know, so like my specialty as a software engineer is web application development. I have never once had to find the prime numbers between zero and a thousand in my day to day. You know, sure. it's all about like reading and writing from databases and dealing with security and, and that kind of stuff. So I, I just it's interviews like that are just deeply broken. They're not they're not testing for the actual skills, as as you said, they're they're testing whether or not you're good at interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I was talking to a friend of mine recently who's a uh, lawyer and mm. he went to law school in New York state and he was saying that like part like as they are getting close to graduating these law firms would put on these parties like cocktail parties for law students like right. to come to and they would just it would be about schmoozing but it was like a whole interview process and at the end you're getting sort of selected um to see whether you sort of made the cut to go for a re- an, the actual interview I was right. like, that's man, that sounds like, like not a great situation for many per- types of personalities. <laughs> like, right. You could yeah. be this, this sort of studious, um, bookworm, not very social, really talented, smart person and just totally fail in a situation like that. Um, mm-hmm. or be a schmoozy sort of slick lawyer type <laughs> sorry lawyers um <laughs> and just nail it so right I, I but mean, not have any actual skills yeah yeah i mean maybe you got some skills maybe but or you know but maybe you're missing out on certain candidates yeah, it's just interesting it is um, it, it there's no perfect way for uh, like through all of this but i do appreciate that some companies now are at least trying to be better about it you know like i would rather hire someone that's like enthusiastic and you know a a good self-directed learner than someone that is um super experienced but like set in their ways you know what i mean like right i think it's easier to like train someone to be good than it is to like I don't know, guarantee that you're getting a good person that's just like ready to go. 100%. I was just listening to um, uh, I, um, Dylan Protein Machining's podcast. Why am I spacing mm-hmm. on the name of this podcast? With Intolerance. Podcast. With Intolerance. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and they were, he was talking to a guest about this similar thing and how necessarily not necessarily experience or um your uh skill set is isn't necessarily as important rather as your just enthusiasm enthusiasm your passion because you can't teach that you have to want to come in and be a part of that team and uh if you don't then you're just miserable yeah and I think honestly, too, like there's a lot of companies that need to work on um, keeping that enthusiasm and fostering it, you know, because if you're paying someone shit and you never give them raises and their life is hard because they don't have any money, then it's kind of hard to be enthusiastic about the work. you know. Yeah, or, or even if, just opportunity within like for for like growth within a position, giving people yeah. the chance to prove themselves. 
but you have to you have to show initiative in order to get those opportunities. Yeah, well, I mean, but the company also has to be structured to to allow that to happen. You know, there there are certainly there's small a lot companies of- like like ours. Real, it's it's so easy though. Like you're kind of yes, bogged down right. with with work. Um, you know, like all the people that work with us uh, have a lot to do, but yeah. still within there, w- within those roles, there there are slow times where you could step up and try to learn something new or sweep the floor and help out. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's always an option. Um, yeah. Not to change the subject, but to change the subject, speaking of sweeping, mm-hmm. this is um, one thing <laughs> it's, that we've been doing that I'm excited about. It's like sort of a 2022 fresh start thing is we have started a daily cleanup regiment. We've always had a Ooh. 15 minute cleanup at the end of the day. But the problem right. was everyone would just grab a broom. Literally, it would be a race to the broom because that's what that's easy to, you know, you're doing something. You're pushing the broom around. You're sweeping. Right. Whereas like some of the other stuff you kind of have to, it's like, I don't know. Am I going to take the initiative to clean the bathroom? Am I going to take the initiative to clean the, the kitchen, uh, clean yeah. up some some benches, like shared benches? So we broke the, we've got five people at the shop. We broke the shop cleanup down into five segments and we have mm-hmm. assigned each person a section of the shop or, or a task to do right. every day at 545 um, for a whole week. So right, I, right. and then my, it rotates. Yeah. And then it rotates. So week one, I did the bathroom each day for, mm-hmm. for a week. Uh, and then we also, have assigned one person each week to initiate the cleanup because that was the other problem. It'd be like quarter two and you've still got people trying to wrap up what they're working on. And then they only get like a 10 minute cleanup in instead of the whole 15 minutes. So at 22, the, that person who's in charge of initiating the cleanup for the week goes and they get, they pick the music that we play um, (laughs) on speakers. Is it eye of the tiger? Please tell me it's eye of the tiger. (laughs) (laughs) um and so that though has made a huge improvement in the cleanliness of the shop awesome shockingly like the the bathroom's clean um the 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 kitchen is always clean this like the counter is clean i got a new dish rack little things stupid things i'm excited about um like i saw today ryan who was on kitchen duty was um, like just, he was cleaning the face of the fridge, like the doors of the fridge. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just like little things like that. It's nice. I was like, wow, the fridge is sparkling. <laughs> um, That's awesome. it just makes, makes you feel good when you, when you walk into the space. So yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about taking it up a notch and, and like on Fridays, we usually cut it out a little early and maybe just making it a bit of a deeper clean, um, or just giving people more time to do their space. Right. Um, leave it, and, leave uh, it nice and shiny for the next person next week. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm liking these sort of more, um, these scheduled things. The other thing we were thinking about scheduling is on Fridays, uh, just like a 30 minute meeting where everyone brings to the table one thing that they'd like to improve. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
So it could be that, you know, we were talking about it last week and it was like, one person was like, this shelving unit just makes no sense. It's here. It collects junk. We should just right. get rid of it. I was like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Right. And you didn't, uh, are you then going to like assign people like, oh, okay, that's a fantastic idea. Can you please do that next week? Or something yeah, like or that? at least that's what we were saying. Tim and I were talking about that. At least take the lead on it. Yeah, yeah. You can grab other people to help you. You know, one person's not going to disassemble pallet shelving by themselves. Right. Um, but yeah, to take the take responsibility for that task and make sure it gets yeah, done. It's, it's super interesting because you're starting to get into the point, you know, five five people now in the, the company, you're starting to get into the point now where you have to start thinking about company culture. Because if you keep growing without explicitly setting what your culture is, then it just becomes whatever, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's I think it's a fantastic time to start doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm uh I hope it'll it'll work. I mean it needs you need the participation and enthusiasm from every single individual or else mm-hmm. it falls apart. So that's what we're one of the on. other things I really like, I'm not sure if you're doing this yet, but like weekly team lunches are awesome. I've every team that I've been a part of, I've always gone out of my way to organize that. Yeah. We um, would like to do that. It's, it's expensive. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be fancy. You just grab a pizza or something, you know? Yeah. It's business expense. We, we do it. We like, we'll grab lunch for everybody once in a while. Uh, yeah. But we are, we always, we often bring in like donuts, cookies. um, Yeah, that's nice. Stuff like that. Uh, I would like to do that weekly lunch though. That would be nice. So I'll tell you uh, what not to do. A very good story of what not to do. One of the companies I used to work for, I was the um, software engineering team lead at this company. And I went out of my way to organize team lunches. And so it end every Friday as team lunch, um, you know, thankfully the, the company was happy to pick up the bill for that. It was a little bit of a bigger company. Um, but it was, you know, nice, nice takeout or something for the whole office. And mm-hmm. we'd take turns in organizing it. And, uh, the CEO noticed that this was the only time that anyone was successful at getting the whole company into one place. So he decided he'd make that, uh, the weekly meeting. Oh no. Yeah. So <laughs> this fucking lunch that I spent so long organizing and like, you know, making sure everyone realized it was important and, you know, it was supposed to be like a social avenue for, for everyone just ended up being this hour long, boring fucking meeting every week. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. yeah you do have to, you have to make room for like social interaction. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause it's going to happen no matter what. <laughs> Yeah, the dubs people are miserable. Well, and it's also like if you don't know your your coworkers, it's hard to give a shit about them. And if you don't give a shit about your coworkers, then I mean that's such a bad spot to end up in. Like the company just self destructs at that point, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, that's funny. I yeah, I've been in a lot of companies that were um, really good examples of what not to do. <laughs> um, so I've I've had to learn a lot of interesting lessons the hard way. Yeah, well, you know, it's like as like a manager of this business, like it's kind of it can be hard to, you know, sidetrack yourself and think about those things, even though they're super important. You know, you're 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 so focused on making sure 
you're getting product out the door. Your customers are happy. You've got the materials you need yep. uh, to, to build the product. Like there's just so many things to think about and you're kind of, you know, I've caught myself being like, just fucking everybody just like, you know, put your nose down and, and get some work done. Yeah. Like it doesn't work, work, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing too is like, it, you know, if you notice something that could be somebody else's responsibility, make it somebody else's responsibility. Yeah. You know, right? Like, it. yeah, it's fantastic to have people on your team feeling like they have some autonomy and some power and that they're helping to, you know, make the company a better place. Yeah. Um, I mean, we try to give people autonomy, but sometimes it goes to the po- point where that person now just feels like they're without a compass. They don't have autonomy. Right, right. They have no direction. So there's right. a balance there. And, it, you know, it takes the right kind of person to, um, yep. to accept that autonomy. And then it also takes the right kind of, you know, management to grant that autonomy, but still like make sure that th- they know their role. You know, and I just, yeah, yeah. Having, having like guidelines and goals and stuff is super important. Um, You know, like one of the things that a lot of companies do, um, I'm not hundred percent sure if I agree with it, but it's a very like metric oriented way to approach this kind of stuff is what they call uh, key performance indicators. Mm. So you, you know, you choose things that are internal or um, financial or whatever that you feel indicates the company's overall performance and then start tracking them, you know, and and each quarter or each month or whatever, you know, work out how you can improve them, how you can, you know, it. Management loves that because it's measurable, you know. They yeah. can say we inc- we improved our KPIs by five percent this month. You know, it does sound it is it is sounding good to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's one of those like I, I there's a golden rule which is uh, you manage what you measure. Yeah, you yeah. know, so if if you just have no metric for how, you know, well or badly some part is of your business is going, then it's really hard to even work out if you're being effective about making change to it. You know? That is a really good point. I mean, Tim and I have been talking about trying to be better at setting goals for people. Mm. Um, it's really easy in certain uh, areas of production yeah, finish two fretboards a day, make three guitars a week. Or, yeah, it's yeah, like, you know, you know yeah. we've breaking it, broken it down into woodwork, pre-finish, so like sanding the guitar, fretting it, getting it ready to go into the spray booth, um, finish and assembly and shipping. It's right. really easy to say assemble X amount of guitars a week, uh, do pre-finish on X amount of guitars a week. But when you get into woodwork and finish, span multiple weeks you've got way more instruments on the go at a time it it becomes a little more challenging um but yeah i think you just have to work to keep it simple you know like yeah finishing is going to be a multi-week process but maybe you only count the guitars that are fully finished in a given week you know yeah it's not maybe it's not a perfect metric and you also need to make sure that um, you know, so Bill Gates is kind of famous for saying this. He was like, you don't measure software progress by lines of code. That's like, like measuring aircraft projects by weight, <laughs> you know, like you have to be careful not to accidentally add an, an incentive that incentivizes negative behavior. You know, if the only metric is, you know, guitars finished in a week, 
then it doesn't matter how much rework or whatever you have to do the next week. Yeah, it's qu- quality is. Yeah, I, I think Ford had a similar yeah. problem where they were just like pumping out cars and they'd just be sitting in the lot needing fix, waiting fixed. for rework. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean that that leads into something else I was actually wanting to talk about is mistakes requiring mm. rework because we've been mm-hmm. making them. Been, Everyone does, of course. Have yeah. you personally been making them? Have you? Is your oh, I did. I made a big, uh, a big mistake recently. Oh no, um, it wasn't like a critical failure type mistake, like where like the guitar doesn't survive or something like that. Um, right. I literally just. I feel like I even talked about this with you, whether it was on the podcast or not. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but I. I forgot to put an F hole in a guitar. And for, if you're not a, right. you know, guitar in, or instrument person, the F hole is like that F shaped sound hole that you see on like classical instruments or arch top guitars, yeah. like a violin. Yeah. And if one's missing, it's, and it's supposed to be there, it's kind of noticeable. Quite noticeable. So, <laughs> but you know, 90%, 90 plus percent of our guitars don't have them. So, right what the mis- the mistake was and we've actually since corrected this before we even realized that this mistake happened is we were hand filling out our production uh, process lists so like in woodwork i have a list of all the tasks that need to be done and then i would hand fill in the specs of each customer into this right. list so it'd be like um you know make body and then i'd put in mahogany so it would be a mahogany right. body it's super know, easy just to miss something. Well, the issue was this customer had literally ordered a replica of some another guitar that we'd previously built. He said, I want that exact guitar, but put an F hole in it for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just right. missed that. I was like, oh, cool. We're making a replica of this guitar. I can do that. Right. So I just like, we got this guitar all the way through, polished, assembled, looked, we were like stoked. Send this customer photos like all the glamour shots really enthusiastic email and he goes looks great like what about the f hole (laughs) and we're like what fuck and we look back and the specs the emails it's right there yeah just missed it we've all done it we've all done it yeah we it was actually a simpler fix than i thought because we do so much post finish stuff we had to refinish the top color which you know that happens like that's a, not an uncommon rework thing that we have to do. So then I, right. you know, I just put it back on the machine, cut the F hole, bound it. It was a bound F hole. It was, makes it more challenging. Like you've got the white um, trim around it. Yeah. Got it done. Got it back in the booth. Finish went great. Polish went perfect. Assembly went great. Uh, sent the customer photos today and an email being like, we're going to get this shipped out for you like right away. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to fix this mistake for you. I'm so sorry. Um, and, he, he, and then he was like, I don't, I don't like the F all. No, no, he happened. didn't say that. He was like, I'm leaving for 45 days and I leave and I, I I'm gone on Monday. Oh, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like that is knowing that I wouldn't have rushed but, shipping yeah. timeline. No, I mean, he wants the guitar. Right. So, um, much respect for to the client for for like being as chill. Um, but we're like, um, you know, I need to, get, I need and want to get this guitar to him, and I don't want him to be 
wherever he is, I don't know if it's vacation or, or on a business trip for 45 days, wondering, worrying, where's yeah. his guitar? Is yeah, it going to, yeah. you know, like, so anyways, I just wrote back right away. I was like, and I, I had already in the hour it took me to, to see and respond to his email booked shipping overnight express. Nice. We're, we're covering the, any potential duties on our, so that that doesn't hold up the, um, the shipment, you know, cause sometimes collecting duties delays things. Right. Um, Will you build those back to him or? Uh, no, no. Wow. You're just going to cover him. Wow. Well, you know, we, we, we apply for, um, uh, fair trade, uh, like USMCA, um, NAFTA. Uh, so if we do get charged, we'll actually, I'll just like get back in touch with DHL. They'll, they'll reimburse us for any duties that, that are charged. This is what customer service looks like. That's awesome. You know, like if I had time, this guy had to be patient for an extra five weeks whatever you know like but yes i agree it's an opportunity it's an opportunity yeah. to provide excellent customer service one of my biggest fears is that people don't think we have their back yeah 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 like you know i've i've had this experience with other people when someone makes a mistake for something they're supposed to be doing for me you know mistakes happen mm-hmm. they they're they're, gonna, they're impossible to completely avoid the the real question is like how are they dealt with when it does happen, you know, cause there's nothing worse than a company where like you tell them that there's a mistake and they get really defensive. They're like, no, it's yeah. not. And you're like, Oh God damn it. Do I really have to do this? You know, like it, it's, whereas, yeah, it, it feels so good when somebody just owns it, even if maybe they're not a hundred percent responsible. Yeah. Yeah. So a few years ago, um, I was dealing with this company called knife maker kinetic in the States. Um, and they were, basically precision grinding, importing and precision grinding steel for me. So they were getting it from a company in Germany called Lohmannstahl. And then they were doing all of the final like uh, vacuum annealing and grinding and everything. And um, one of the batches of steel I got from them, you know, I went through like machining all of the blades, all of the hand finishing, everything, sent them out to heat treat. And I got them back and they had all these like warts on them. I've never seen anything like it before or since. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And so I like ground into some of the little warts and you could see that there was like, you know, just something else in there. And so I sent, anyway, I sent them photos of this and um, they were like, oh God, you know, and they asked for a couple of samples back for metallurgical analysis and everything. It turned out that Lomenstahl, when when they're pouring the steel into ingots, all of the slag rises to the top of the ingot. Mm. So it's, you know, the top, very top of the ingot has like impurities and stuff. They're supposed to saw it off and throw it out. And they accidentally sawed it off and sent that <laughs> to Knife Maker Kinetic to send to me. Score. Yeah, it was great. But you know what? Both of those companies took 100% ownership of that issue. Like the samples went from me to Knife Maker Kinetic all the way to Germany, to Lohmannstahl, where they put them through their metallurgical lab like verified that it was uh, inclusions, that it was slag. And then they replaced all of the steel at no cost. Yeah. Well, good for them. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it just, that's such a better way of handling it than being like, Oh, it looks like you did it wrong. You know, like, yeah, prove it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, we started down this path because you said you were 
you were worried about mistakes and quality. What what in particular was concerning? I'm not you? worried about quality because that's sort of foremost for us. Uh, right. It's the 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 mistakes that we have to fix in order to maintain our quality. Right. Um, so you're worried about like the the rework percentage, basically. The rework, yeah. Like there's just um, just li- little things. I mean, and I I know there's easy solves for it, like. A uh, guitar recently, the headstock got got knocked. It got it bumped in. You know, like uh, one of the guys hit the headstock against something, a hard object, and it dented the headstock. Right. It was a fully finished guitar. Ugh. Um, but you know why? Because we have two air. We have we have two air guns in the shop. One mm. in the spray booth, and one at the by the axes CNC. We actually and there's one in the Haas. So people are coming from the uh, like assembly guitar assembly area with a fully finished guitar into the the yeah, hectic yeah. wood shop to grab us an air gun to to blow off dust on the guitar, right? And it's like such a stupid thing. We just need to put an air gun there. <laughs> um, yeah. So it you know little things like that that that. I'm, you know, excited to, about the improvements that we can make. Uh, but yeah, I was just, I, I was so frustrated with myself about making this one mistake uh, that I was talking about that it was just top but, of mind. Cause it was literally like today we finished this guitar finally. Right. So it just had me thinking about other mistakes that happen re- like commonly, maybe not commonly, but like it's the same mistake that right. pops up every once in a while. But I think you're thinking about it in the right way. You know, like when you said that one of the guys bumped a, a headstock, you're not like, oh, that fucking idiot. We just have to like mm-hmm. yell at them more. You know, you you did, you know, a very simple root cause analysis where you're saying, okay, what, why did this happen? It's because they didn't have easy access, easy, safe access to an air gun in the packaging area or whatever, you know? So we should put one there, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Then that's the way to deal with this stuff. You know, the companies that don't get better are the ones that are like, you know, you're an idiot. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean that's never. Uh, it's literally never our first. We, I mean, or to a fault, always blame ourselves, Tim and I. Right. Um, unless I mean it's like something totally, obviously somebody else's fault. Yeah, but, but you can't. You can't get to the point of just blaming yourself. You have to like blame the process. That's what know, I mean. Not, that's not what, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like we could do yeah. a better job at you know, putting an air gun somewhere or improving our, our spec list, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. the legibility of it. Um, I mean, the other thing we're going to do is we just have so many options. We're, we're, we're shrinking our sandbox. We're just, we're just knocking right. off options, available options, um, right. that we're going to offer, uh, at least on the website, you know, maybe there'll be secret menu options that we'll say yes to occasionally, <laughs> but, um, some of those those things just wreak havoc on production, and that's kind of where mistakes happen. Yeah, you so, have to pick those. Oh, I haven't out. done that. Yeah, I haven't done that in a while. How did I do that again? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and yeah. Uh, the other part of it you kind of already talked about, which is like making sure your company has a culture of everybody looking for and feeling like they can 
suggest and implement improvements, um, you know, and encouraging people to do so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we're talking about doing this Friday meeting. Yeah. Because there, there has to be something on every single person's mind in a, in any given week. Like, ah, uh, I'm so annoyed with this. Or <laughs> well, the other thing my- is too, is to train yourself and your staff out of the mindset of, I've just got to get this done. That doesn't matter. You know, that improvement doesn't matter. Or, uh, it, whatever. I just have to live with it as it is, you know, it, it's, and I've gotten into that myself. It's too easy to just push through. I used to be the other way. I used to be like, oh, this, this process has a tiny bit of friction. Let me stop and tear this whole thing apart and re, you know, two weeks later, I haven't made any fucking knives. Yeah. We used to be like that as well. Let's like, let's tackle the bigger picture. Yeah. And it's like, you know, now we're just like, let's fucking make, make some, you know, instruments, get them out to, to the waiting customer. So it's a balancing act, but I mean, that's the whole lean principle and, you know, that's not a new idea about like constant improvement or, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, fast cap guy, like 10 second improvements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And if people like this, this kind of topping, this kind of thinking, then like, yeah, go check out Paul Akers at fast cap. Um, his whole company is like, a. Lean principles on steroids. It's it's crazy. Um, he lives his life by it. I think yes, he's got he Kanban does. cards for his cereal boxes at home. <laughs> um, and then the other fantastic, like there's uh, a book called The Toyota Way, which if you haven't read it, is honestly if you're at all interested in manufacturing, that book is really really interesting. Like interesting enough that I read it one year while I was on holiday. You know. Like, <laughs> um, not not your typical recreational reading, but it is yeah. a very. It's also available in story. audio form. Is it uh, really? How I consumed it. Yeah, I think on YouTube. Really interesting. Yeah, it's just it's it's a super interesting story. You know, they like they took literally the worst auto manufacturing plant in America and turned it into by far the best. You know, this this production line was like all of the people that worked there were so pissed off at the company constantly. They'd be drinking on the job and then chucking their empties into the doors of cars as they were assembling them, you know, like um, or they would, you know, rather they're a union. They could they couldn't like walk off the job. So they would just chuck handfuls of loose parts into cars to make them rattle like hell as as their as their like protest, you know, like this was literally the worst auto plant in America. Um, and it was, it was going to get closed down and everyone was going to lose their jobs. And that project turned it around and made it by far the best, you know, it's very just, it's super, super interesting to read about that process. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, uh, watching like a, I don't know if it was really a full factory tour, but of, uh, um, what's the, the CNC manufacturer, um, Kern? No, um, cool story, Nick. Cool story. Fuck. Uh, Haas, Okuma, uh, DMG Mari. It was a Japanese company. Brother, uh, Roku Roku. No, we saw it at, uh, at, um, Matsura. At CMTS? Matsura. Okay. Oh my God. Am I losing (laughs) it? Yeah, probably. Honestly, 
it's nine o'clock. You know, normally I'm not in bed by now, but no, you're not. Um, you're actually at home today for I am. For Maybe once. that's normally you'd be working till midnight. Zone. Right. Anyways, uh, I don't know why I couldn't remember that because I was obsessed with that Matsura MX330 PC10 that we saw. <laughs> yes, that was very, very funny. Nick was just badgering the sales guy. I mean, he was like looking in every door. No, he was an apps guy. So he was, he was, oh. he was he, honestly, people at trade shows are desperate for like staff at trade shows are desperate yeah, for people yeah. to talk to. So they look busy. Yeah. Please. That's my experience from having been a trade show person. It's like somebody, please talk to me. Right. Um, but uh, they like their hand scraping castings mm. and it's like how the fuck do you teach people to do that in a production set- setting and yeah right to do it efficiently and to a high you know uh caliber mm-hmm. it's got to be a culture thing yeah i mean it's super interesting how like the the manufacturing methods of Toyota, which was the company that came before Toyota, you know, they were making looms. Um, and the manufacturing principles that came out of that went to Toyota, the car company that was making mm-hmm. like multiple different autos, like different models of automobile on the same production line, which is very unusual. Um, and then that kind of infecting all, you know, like huge, huge swaths of Japanese manufacturing you know, kind of picked up those same principles. And then now it's like infecting the world for the better, you know, like it's, it's just super interesting how that stuff travels around. Yeah. Um, I just think it's so cool to see like they're making, you know, Matsur, I don't think they're the only ones that do this like hand scraping. Um, right. But uh, to see that like, old school skill set employed in the making of high precision, um, you know, CNC machinery. Yeah. yeah like, is- you'd be like, why don't they have a robot doing that? <laughs> Ooh, a scraping robot would be cool, actually. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, they just, they train people and trust them to do, to do that well. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much trust is actually involved and how much, like, oversight. Measurement. Yeah, measure true. obviously. Measure. Yeah. yeah, it's so it's been interesting. So I've only been back at the shop for a couple of days, but just being in this process, in this mindset of so one of the things I did to prepare for the job interviews because I haven't been programming on a daily basis in like a couple of years now. Um, I went back to a whole bunch of my older open source projects. You know, a code that I haven't touched since 2011, 2012. Like, you know, been around for a while, and went through and like you know, gave them a good spit and polish, um, like just brought them up to my modern standards. And that kind of, you know, that that's one of the five S's, isn't it? The shine, you have to shine yeah. things up. Yeah. So just kind of um, coming back into the workshop with that mindset, I immediately, I, I was like, um, I was about to, oh, I, I did set up the, one of the CNC machines to, um, cut out my handle scales. So I have, you know, raw sheets of G10 that are like 12 by 12 inches or eight and a half by 11 and a half. And I have to cut those into equal size blanks so that I can use them later in the process. 
And I, for years, I've been doing that on like double side tape on a on a phenolic fixture. But the double sided tape invariably like you know, I ha- either I have to replace it every time or it's kind of, uh, you know, Russian roulette to work out whether or not the tape's <laughs> going to let go in the middle of the process. Right. And for years, I've been meaning to make a vacuum fixture for this process. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to eat the pain right now of running this this process as it is. But I'm sitting down right now and designing a vacuum fixture for this. Yeah. Um, and it's more than just the time. Like, you know how expensive the materials are for doing this. Like, I think I'm going to spend like four or 500 bucks on this one fixture, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be worth never, it. You won't, you won't miss that money. No. No. And one of the goals for this year is um, fire and forget. That's one of my biggest goals for this year is I, I really, really want to continue developing processes that I can walk away from. You know, so like I can I can put a sheet of of G10 down in the machine, hit cycle start and leave, and it will 100% finish mm. what it's doing, and it will be easy. You know, and I I there's so many parts of my process that require just a little bit of hands-on attention here and there. You know, oh, yeah. and it means that I can't do anything else. Yeah, I mean that is one thing that we've been experiencing with the Haas. Like mm. so much of the stuff on the axes, like I kind of had to baby. I, yeah, I was yeah. constantly <laughs> not anymore. Eh? I, well, I mean, I st- and I still run processes on that, and there's a lot of babysitting. Right, but I uh, mean, with the Haas, it's like when you hit cycle start, it's gonna finish doing exactly what you want it to do. Yeah. In, well, part in of the it, way part that it's of its machine, and that you know, we I I feel like I can trust it and it, its accuracy and reliability. Uh, and not having yeah. to change tool sets. Um, yeah, yeah. Compared to, I know it's not the, you know, the Cadillac. I don't even know. If that's Oranges cool. versus apples. Yeah. But um, it's not the the world's greatest machine tool. But I I do feel like I have that trust in it. But it's not just the machine. It's also the, uh, like the work holding that is just yeah. so much that we invested in, in, you know, in, in investing in a new expensive machine we invested in good better work holding and that's what's really made the difference yeah and that's not cheap either you know i I know you had mark there for weeks weeks and weeks working on fixturing and and having to yeah especially when you're sheets of phenolican yeah when you're fixturing so custom yeah um you know we're not holding it in a vice it's it's all been designed and manufactured especially for our process. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, my fixturing is all like that too. Like the this new fixture that I'm building now will be one of the more expensive ones I've ever built because I mean, just the size of it. Like the base plate is sixteen inches by twenty two inches of one inch thick aluminum plate. Wow. You know, like that's thick. Yeah. Yeah, that's not that's not cheap, but it, it's. For one thing, I need the thickness. I need to bring the parts up closer to the spindle. Otherwise, right. I end up having to use longer tools. And for two, right. like, you know, so for what you're doing with wood on wood, like using phenolic totally makes sense. For what I'm doing, you know, even with that fixture that I've been using for machining the G10, I have to get the double-sided tape off. And so I try to scrape it off. And sometimes I'll dig into the phenolic and damage it. 
you know so yeah for me yeah, i just need like should, hard fixtures mean, i guess you're you're switching over to vacuum so this is unnecessary but that's why we don't use double-sided tape it's so hard to remove that's why we use right. painter's tape and super glue painter's but, tape and super glue yeah I know you've you've also you've also been using that. I'm so sick of using painter's tape and super glue. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just going straight to vacuum fixturing. So I've got a design where it's um, so basically I'm taking these sheets like uh, 12 by 12 inches and then cutting them into pieces that are uh, 0.35 inches thick exactly by one and a half by 11 inches long with um, radius corners. So this allows me to do like uh, glue ups and stuff later on in a very, very consistent way. All of my materials process the exact same way. Um, and so I'm the fixture itself is going to have seven separate vacuum zones, one for each of the, the blanks that I'm machining. Mm -hmm. And each one will be able to be switched on and off individually because sometimes I get material in different sizes and I need to be able to turn off the vacuum zones I'm not using so I can process different size material. Um, and then each zone is going to have, you know, an individual gasket around it and then, um, sandpaper like permanently adhered to the aluminum underneath, uh, the clamping zone so that right. it, like, it's not going anywhere. You know? yeah. What great, sand, um, what great sandpaper are you going to use? Not a hundred percent sure. I, I'm thinking like 120. Okay. Um, I know like, um, Pearson, he yeah. uses like a uh, wet dry, like not. Yeah, like 400 grid or something, right? Yeah, maybe even finer. Like, I was surprised when I saw that. But, I, you know, like, if you were to try to drag your finger across even a high grit sandpaper, it is still grippy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah so, I, you know, I, in the idea. past, working on the tape, I've really had to, like, baby baby those those cuts. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going slow. You know, So I'm going to save time. And then the other thing I'm doing with this is I'm actually combining two fixtures. So previously I was using one fixture to machine the actual handle scales, like the finished handle scales ready to go on a knife. And then a different fixture for when I'm processing G10 into those standardized blanks. So I'm actually combining those two fixtures. So that means um, I can run that fixture lights out. So each night I can load up, you know, two handle scales um, and then if I have material to process, I just put it on there as well. And then, you know, that, that material processing stage will always run cause it's only going to be like 10 minutes or something. Right. Um, and then I can just walk away from it. Um, and that's going to be super nice. Cause it means that right now, you know, when I get a batch of material, then I do a batch of processing, which is, I really, really dislike batch processes, you know, like stuff like that needs to just become routine that you don't really think about. Um, so I really like the idea of just building the opportunity into that daily process to process incoming material. Totally. I mean, it sounds like a good workflow. Yeah. And one, one thing that I really like, so I'm using a, um, a Venturi vacuum generator for this. So it uses compressed air blown over a Venturi tube to generate a, a vacuum for the whole down. But the... Um, cycle for machining the handle scales, which this is going to be a part of, is a bit over two hours long. And I'm only going to be using the vacuum fixtures for the first 10 minutes of that process. So I, I don't really want to just like waste two hours of compressed air. Yeah. You know? So what I'm going to do is actually just put, I've, I've designed the fixtures so that the 
the ball valve for controlling the compressed air to the vacuum generator is within the machining envelope of the, the fixture, which means that I can just uh, set up a tool holder in the machine with a pin in the in the thing <laughs> yeah. and then turn the handle oh, <laughs> and turn smart. the compressed air off. Yeah, it's simple. Um, yeah, it's it, but, you know, that's not going to cost me a lot of money, right? It's going to be, you know, a couple of bucks a month or something. But I just hate the idea of like running a machine like the compressor for no reason. You know, you're heating up the whole room and, you know, putting wear and tear on the compressor. Like, I don't see the point. Yeah, it's a nice compressor you got too. You want to take care of it. I just had my compressor serviced. Oh, really? I had my my initial break-in service. Right. Yes, I haven't had to worry about that because my compressor had 70,000 hours on it when I got it. Yeah, <laughs> mine's got uh, under 500. Yeah, it's really... So like the the service intervals on my compressor are supposed to be things like 5,000 hours apart. Yeah. And like, I'm not going to put that many hours on on the compressor in the next 10 years, I don't think, you know? Like, it it's crazy the service intervals on screw compressors. Now, now does it say 5,000 hours or six months? Whatever It does not, but I should probably do it yearly. And I, the main issue, as I understand it, is that if you don't run the compressor you know, often until it gets hot, then the oil in the compressor will start to absorb water. Um, whereas if you're running the compressor all the time, then it heats up the oil and drives all the water out of it. Hmm. So... Now, that being said, at least once a month, I run the compressor for probably, you know, six to eight hours straight when I'm doing sandblasting. Yeah. yeah. So that that probably covers me. But yeah, I mean, I bought the um, the oil for the compressor in bulk, so I should probably just do a, an oil change. Yeah. So ours, um, yeah, they didn't need to change the oil. They took an oil sample. Hmm. Um, which is really only for for warranty purposes, it seems like. Right. Uh, so at any rate, um, but yeah, they they swapped the filter, cleaned it all out. Our filter was quite dirty. Yeah, I mean that's a big difference. Actually, you know, I should probably clean my intake filter or replace it because yeah, my shop's dusty too. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, yeah. I mean, your shop is definitely dustier, but yeah. Yeah, we it we made it made a huge difference putting up that curtain. Like I put it, the the our compressor's kind of in like this little nook that was right. completely open to the elements. The elements being a fuckload of wood dust. <laughs> um, and so I just put up this plastic shower curtain I got off McMaster. It's like an industrial shower curtain. It was like three hundred dollars. Right. Um. And uh, that that cut down on the, the dust significantly. But the guy, the service dude, was like, "Nah, man, your your compressor is like mint." I was worried it was gonna be fucked for some, you know, because right. my initial plan was to build a was to put a wall up in a door. And right. It was just I just couldn't get around to spending the time to build the wall. Yeah. The, well, but he's he's used to dealing with companies that are like they've got a plasma table next to their screw compressor. Yeah, you know? well, maybe. I mean, he was showing me photos. He was like showing me photos of a seventy-five horsepower um, behemoth. Uh, the the what is it? The radiator or something like that? 
of one. Anyways, okay, it was, like, it was just black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, anyways, I hope it. it, it it made me feel so much better to just be done and have it done. Cause our, our, um, the, what initiated it, I should be keeping a better eye on like the number of hours, but, uh, right. it, it was giving me a, a service signal, like a, uh, yep. the, there's a readout on the air dryer, uh, and it's been flashing SE for service. Right. Um, so it was like right around Christmas time. So I got in touch and they were like, well, get to it first week of January ended up being the second week of January. Cause whatever. Um, annoyingly they could not reset the service. Like what? It, it flashing service. Why? Cause they didn't have the right manual. They, they just changed. <laughs> but mine was like, uh, the service tech had never worked on a compressor of my size, which is only seven and a half horsepower that had this right. air dryer. So he didn't know right. how to reset it. He promised that's to come funny. back. Super nice guy. But well, uh, good, at least. it pissed me off, pisses me off that it's still saying service. You just paid to have it service and now it's blinking at you. So yeah, it's like, it. just get rid of the light, the, the service thing, please. But <laughs> you don't uh, even have to actually service it. Just turn the light off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't do anything but change that. So I don't yeah. have to think about it. No, I mean they—they were—they're—they were good. Um, but I feel it does feel nice to make sure to know that my compressor's not been ruined by the dust that I've been piping into it. No, no, I think no, you're you're fine. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I've got—I just have to focus more a bit, or I want to focus more a bit on on getting all of these projects and improvements done. You know, because I. I talk a big talk, but the last year wasn't really a big year for, you know, substantial improvements. So this year. Yeah. There's no robot uh, sandblaster yet. No, there isn't. Which, yeah. Sorry to call you out. Yeah. Oh God. No, it's just sandblasting your hand by hand. Kill me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of ties in because the robot sandblast is more important for when I change to stainless. And that's still okay. in process. And I can't do that until I have my quench quench plate system working. But I'm like buying parts and designing stuff now for, for all these kind of extra processes. So um, some of them are going to be... I wish you just didn't have to make the product and you just got to develop the processes to make the product. Sometimes, I guess. But you know what? I think if I just keep making the processes enough then I'll kind of get to that point, you know, where it's very, yeah. it gets easier and easier, you know, I hope <laughs> anyway. Well, you have the, the personality type where you're not satisfied to just slog away. No, you do, yeah. you do have to do that sometimes, but yeah. 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 And I'm, I've definitely gotten better about that. You know, when I first started, I was just really, really bad at, at just slogging through the grind. You know, whereas now, arguably, maybe I'm too good at it. Um, right. So I think I need to make a little bit of a correction there, like be a little bit less tolerant of, of that process pain. But yeah, it's 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 getting there. And I've got some crazy projects that I want to do. Like, you know, move, I'm planning to move out to the country this year. So there's going to be things that I just won't have access to anymore. You know, like 
I looked the area that we're looking at moving to, I would have to drive like, you know, an hour to get dry ice or liquid nitrogen, oh, um, you know, welding gas, that kind of stuff. Right. So master doesn't have dry ice. <laughs> no, <laughs> they can ship you a bottle of carbon dioxide, but no, no dry ice. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, the, that's an opportunity. Like I, I, I was like, okay, how do they make liquid nitrogen? Uh, it turns out it's not that hard and you can do it in a mechanical, super interesting mechanical way, you know? So, um, I've been like working on plans for a liquid nitrogen generator. And, but as I said, you know, like I've been saying that kind of stuff a lot recently, like, Oh, I've been working on plans for this. I mean, you know, I need to start finishing more stuff. So that's kind of my goal for this year is to, you know, do a lot of these projects. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if, um, having a sort of more regular job frees you up from the sort of financial constraints of, yeah, it's like, you know, if you might have more, you might have more money in a little, in, in even more time actually to throw at, Yep. I wouldn't be at all surprised because, you know, that that is a very real thing. You know, the last couple of years have been somewhat lean because of COVID. But like, yeah, like the idea of spending two grand on a project that hopefully works out, you know, that, that that's a bit painful when that could take a big cut into your, you know, living money for for that month, you know. So well, especially if you're if you it's not, you know, like it has to work out if it doesn't. Yeah have to work out you can really dial it in and make it right uh yeah. have another crack at it but yeah like to to throw two thousand dollars of you know the potential profit at a problem you really need it to work <laughs> yeah that's what's yeah. scary about probably probably one of the things that maybe makes us shy away from making improvements well i'm also yeah. just super looking forward to um you know, like right now, if I have a good idea and I, I, you know, I'm feeling motivated on the weekend or in an evening or something, it's really hard just to go to the shop and, and get some work done. Cause that's, you know, just getting there and back is like a, an hour lost, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm really, really looking forward to the, the idea of the shop just being in the backyard. Oh, that's the dream. Yeah. Plus uh 24 seven lights out machining, baby. That's going to be awesome. 24 <laughs> seven, eh? Oh yeah. 365 maybe not but you know what it's like right now it'd be so so easy just to you know get up go out to the shop in my pajamas change over some parts you know start a cycle go back inside and have a relaxed breakfast and a shower and stuff and you know that's like an extra cycle a day for free and then you can kind of do the same thing at nighttime it's no big deal if you miss it but if you do it it's like free productivity you know Absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, that, that is the dream is to, to have your, your shop in your backyard. Yes. Well, fingers crossed we're going for the dream this year. And with yeah. that in mind, I think we're at the end of this episode where we're thinking about dreams, people. Noticeably Maybe there. everyone should there, tell us are. what their dream for this year is. Oh, that's a fun idea. Yeah. E- email us your dreams. Uh, in in video submission format, please. <laughs> yeah, I would love if someone actually. I, really, does I want some really, you know, high production quality. 
<laughs> avant-garde film noir black and white fancy yeah. videos yeah <laughs> no but anyway if anyone's listening t- write in you know tell us what you're hoping to to achieve this year you know in your business in your personal life in manufacturing whatever I'm, I'm curious where people are going and i'm sure it'll spark a lot of interesting conversations absolutely if you yeah. want we'll hold you accountable Oh, we could have at the end of the year, we call people up and be like, did you achieve this? And if they say no, we just shame them publicly. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds terrible. We should do it. That might be the, just the motivation some people need. <laughs> yes. Like I shame you, so you for not having your robot uh, uh, oh, sandblasting God. blades for you. Yeah, I, know. I really do need to do that. And yeah, it really is just a case of like, oh, I'm going to have to spend like, a thousand bucks on like laser cut stainless sheet steel. Like, yeah, man, it's, I gotta just do it. I don't know if like I've gotten cheaper, but like this literally why I haven't put a fucking air gun at the assembly. (laughs) $99 and 99 cents. I'm like, what a stupid, (laughs) what a stupid reason not to improve the, you know, everyday life of, uh, yeah. Or, you know. Well, I know uh, I've I know I've done a few quotes already today, but I'll give you another one, which Henry Ford said, if you need a tool and don't buy it, then you will have paid for it and won't have it. <laughs> That's really fucking good. Yeah, I like that one. God damn. That's to but now yeah, I see I love buying tools, so <laughs> yeah, I know. So I think you and I have both gone through the same arc, which is when we started out, we, everything has to be perfect. We're spending all yeah. this time making things perfect. We're buying all the tools, you know, the, the right tool for the job. That's the fun and part, then yeah. two years later, you're you're broke and not producing anything. And then you have to train yourself out of, uh, you know, buying every tool you could possibly need. And, yeah, and even the know, ones just you actually shit need. Done. Yes, and then we've both swung too far in the other direction. Yeah, so now we need right, to. The, that's the way the pendulum swings. Yeah, um, it's too true. There's, I've got things in my shopping list that we desperately need, and things in my shopping list that we don't desperately need, and I have equal hesitation about buying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my. Honestly, the for me the saddest one has been that I've gotten, I've become way more hesitant to just like buy nice shit for myself. You know, like until like November, December, I don't think I owned a t-shirt that didn't have a hole in it. You know, so I was like, you know what? This is stupid. And I just, I just went and bought like 20 t-shirts, yeah, yeah. you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think, I, as I said, I think there's a real like swing in one direction, swing in the other. And then I think there's, a, you know, an equalization to be had. Yeah. Yeah. I think our swing happened when we like dropped $85,000 on it. <laughs> and I was like, now I'm like, I'll buy one tool holder at a time. <laughs> My pencil is, is one inch long, but we can't afford any more. So yeah. keep using. Yeah. yeah. Everybody can serve their, their pencils. Yeah. We'll glue them together and make a new pencil at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we'll leave you. Um, yeah. Please, please send us your, your goals for this year. The things that you want to achieve or things that you think we should all be achieving or trying to achieve. Um, and yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what comes out of that. Aaron, maybe we should, maybe we should start the trend on, uh, the XYZ Instagram. 
Ooh, okay. We can we can look at that. All right. Sounds good. Well, I hope everyone has a great week and we will see you in two weeks. Right on. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.